The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. On the 35 with a fresh set of downs. Fitzpatrick again wants Gasicki and he drops it in. Gunslinger Ryan Fitzpatrick. Gunslinger Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of you. Tommy's here with me today. Uh, Cooley will be with me tomorrow and we will have a full fledged pod tomorrow with Cooley to break down the Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, signing. Um, we're going to have all of our thoughts here in a moment. Um, hey, Sheehan from Ben on Twitter. Tommy, Ben tweets me a lot on Twitter. I don't think Ben is a real big fan of me. I don't think Ben's necessarily a big fan of you either, but that's okay. He um, he tweeted me and said, hey, Sheehan, a.k.a. Boomer, no tweeting last night on Fitzpatrick? Did that spring forward hurt you a little bit? Were you sleepy? Come on, man. Where's the emergency podcast, especially when you called it on Fitzmagic? Um, thank you, Ben. You can tweet me at Kevin Sheehan, DC. You can uh, tweet Tommy at Tom Lavero. Um, I'm not saying that Benny doesn't like us. Benny obviously listens to us. First of all, Tommy... Um, I was asleep when the news broke. Um, secondly, um, if Benny had any sort of brain in his head, he'd know that springing forward doesn't hurt you at night. It hurts you in the morning. Actually, you stay up later at night when you spring forward. Um, but I would just tell you, like um, Dwight Schrute, um, where I have the ability to lower and raise my cholesterol whenever I want <laughs> and for whatever reasons I would want, I can control my body clock. All right. The springing forward complaining never, I just don't personally understand. It sucks to lose an hour of sleep for like an hour and then it's fine and it's over. I can't stand the people that constantly complain about that stuff. Um, I've never missed work because of the clocks going forward or been late for work. Have you? I don't think you have. No. How hard is it to remember <laughs> that this happens? Well, it happens twice a year. Are, 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 well, once are a year springing forward. Yeah. Once yeah, springing and then, forward, and then once falling back. you got to fix the clocks again. Yeah. Right. So you've got to pay attention to your clock. Look, this is a pet peeve of mine. I have a personal philosophy 
that it's important to pretty much know what time it is pretty much all the time. Here's what you'll never hear from me. <laughs> what time you'll is it? You'll never hear from me. Whoa, where did the time go? Yeah, well. You'll never hear that from me. There have been early mornings where I've walked out of a casino in Vegas and been surprised that it was light out. Um, there have been those those mornings, but I I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna name any names here. But I read something the other day, and I'm gonna paraphrase something like, "No more depressing night of the year than when you lose an hour." I'm just exhausted thinking about it. I'm like, oh my god, how soft are you? Um, but anyway, hey uh, Benny, um, Benny, when they spring forward. Typically, that means that you're staying up later, like 11.30 really feels, or if it, this stuff really impacts you, really feels like 10.30. And then for me, you know, waking up is the most important thing, because I have to wake up very early to do a radio show. Um, not for one second was I concerned that I wasn't going to get up Monday morning, because, you know, my body clock was going to think it was, you know, 4.15, and it was actually going to be 5.15. I set the alarm. The alarm went off. I got up. Um, so, first of all, Benny, um, you have it sort of backwards. Like, you know, that's – if I, I was sleeping last night. You know, Boomer was sleeping last night. I was sleeping at 11 o'clock last Boy, I night. I was up. I, well, I was up when the news broke. Well, I will just tell you, not that I'm complaining, but I had to drive. I didn't have to. Um, I had, but but we went to New Jersey yesterday, right after the podcast. I had to drive up to New Jersey, and then I drove back. We got home at about ten, ten fifteen. I literally, you know, did you know six and six hours of driving, and so I was a little bit tired. And I jumped in bed. I turned on the TV, and I'm like, "Well, nothing's going to happen tonight. They haven't done anything yet." And I woke up to seriously like 40 plus text messages on my phone, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Um, secondly, or thirdly, whatever it is at this point uh, for old Ben, I didn't really call it. All right, our the 980 sent out a tweet and I love how aggressive our social media team is now because we haven't been that way in the past. And they said, Sheehan called this like a month ago, called the Fitzpatrick, called the dollar amount, the whole thing. I didn't really call it to be fair. I suggested that this could be one of the ways they could go if, you know, they didn't hit on the long-term solution, whether that would be, you know, Deshaun Watson, which I, you know, I, I, they had gone for Stafford, which I love the fact that they went for Stafford. And I thought if they make another big move on a future, you know, three, five, ten-year solution, Darnold, possibility, whatever – um, I, you know, uh, that wouldn't surprise me if they don't, I would prefer that they look at somebody like Fitzpatrick for a year or two, rather than some of the other guys they were considering, you know, whether it was Mariota or, you know, people wanted Brissett or Tyrod Taylor or Dalton, Dalton wouldn't have bothered me either. And part of why I, th I felt that way is probably the, f I'm, I'm going to guess you and I haven't talked is that a, it's going to be fun to have Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Two, I think he can play. And I think that he has played really good football in recent years and played very well last year. And I also used, as I've been telling you and everybody else that's listened to the podcast, that one of my guiding principles here in trying to predict what they will do is character, leadership, 
work ethic, smart at any position. And Fitzpatrick fits all of that. You know, he is a leader. He is beloved. People, you know, he can mentor younger players. Um, but I, I I didn't predict that they, or even source, that they were going to sign Fitzpatrick. Yeah, don't, don't, be, don't, be, don't be modest about this. I am. You did suggest it would be a pretty good outcome for them if they didn't hit big. Yeah, I I like I like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't think that because he's 38 or 39 years old that like they're signing somebody at the end of his career that should be only a backup or that this is a give up move on next year or they still have to draft their he played at a pretty high level last year and the year before by the way. His QBR in the last 2 years is top 10 in the league. He's actually improved as a quarterback. He's also just Something we haven't had around here in a while at quarterback. A guy with some charisma, a guy that's a gunslinger in the quarterback, you know, uh, description, um, vernacular. He will go for it. He's fearless. Um, he is not afraid of failing when it matters. Um, you know, people said, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's say, you know, what Zabe said on, on Twitter. I don't know what he said. Rex Grossman 2.0. No, he's out of his mind. Yeah. Well, but but everything you just described. Oh, personality wise. Personality wise. The whole wise, thing you just described. Yes. Is, is Rex to a T. Personality wise, spot on. In terms of the ability okay. to truly, you know, uh, p- perform at a super high level, be a playmaker as a quarterback, which Rex was not. Rex had no th- th- fair personality wise, fearless, unafraid of making mistakes. You know, Rex uh, Rex would throw could throw three picks, and he was still chucking it into traffic on the on the uh, you know on the next series, which I loved about Rex. But Fitzpatrick's much more of a playmaking stylistically a quarterback. He's just different. You know. By the way, I would say that Fitzpatrick probably has a stronger arm. But he's definitely more versatile and more mobile and more of a playmaker. Rex is pocket guy, you know, let's chuck it deep. No, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, Personality-wise, yes, I agree with that. Totally so, agree with that. So you think, this is, you think all this is cause for celebration? I'm, I am not unhappy about it. I am <clears throat> the, That's not what I asked you. I mean, based on what I've seen on social media – there is a celebration going on. Well, I did a poll um, this morning, and 75% of the people said thumbs up. 25% said thumbs yeah. down. The funny thing is the thumbs down people in their comments, oh, my God, they are really dead set against it. Um, yes, I'm celebrating it. But I just – the one one caveat is I am still – I'm disappointed that they just weren't able to connect on the big swing, but at the same time, I acknowledge that they tried. You know, they they obviously tried on Matt Stafford. Um, you know, they may have uh, tried on somebody like Sam Darnold, but didn't want to wait on the possibility of him not getting traded or the price being too high. And I do think that there's probably a quarterback or two in this draft that they really like that they'd like to swing big on, but they can't because a 
they don't, you know, they'd have to mortgage some of their future to move up. And B, you'd, it would require another team passing on that quarterback that Washington wants um, to make the trade. So I, you know, we'll get into, I, I'm going to get into a list of things that I think that this says or just sort of a reaction. But to answer your question, I'm excited about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I am okay. I am definitely in the camp of they are better today than they were yesterday as a team. They signed a quarterback who was older than Alex Smith. Right. Older than their <laughs> offensive coordinator, I mean, too. I mean, that's just amazing. Look, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, I think I, he, he, it'll be fun at times. Uh, they certainly are better at quarterback uh, with the three they have now uh, than the two they had before the trade. Okay, uh, and what's most impressive about Ryan Fitzpatrick is his playoff numbers. Those are very impressive. <laughs> Did you check those out? That's good. Well done. You know, um, you know what's really interesting though. This year, had he started all 16 games for Miami, he didn't – keep in mind, he did not get benched for performance. Ryan Fitzpatrick got benched because they drafted Tua Tungavailoa. And organizationally, right. they wanted to see what Tua could do now because they didn't consider themselves to be a legitimate you know, contender for anything. But you know what? They were – they were 3-3 three and three in the first three games. The three losses were, were winnable games against good opponents, by the way, Seattle and Buffalo, two you know, playoff teams, and they were right there with both of those teams. The other loss was the opener against New England. Um, he played exceptionally well. They, he had a game in San Francisco against the 49ers that was phenomenal, and they were sitting there at 3-3, three and three, and they decided to go with Tua then. I think if he had started all 16 games, Tommy, I think he would have started his first playoff game. Of course, he got COVID at the end of the year, or I forget whether it was COVID or contact tracing, but he couldn't play in that season finale, the game that they had to win to get into the postseason against Buffalo. But yeah. So he has, so Taylor Heineke has more of a playoff record than uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, Taylor Heineke's playoff record is actually worse. Um, then, but, but he has he has a record. Yes, he, he has numbers. He has statistics. Well, yeah, I mean Ryan Fitzpatrick technically is five hundred. He's zero and zero in playoff games. Yeah. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is an upgrade over what they have. I mean that is what I. So think. you think he's the starter? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Is there going to be a competition? They'll talk about one, but he didn't just sign here yesterday with this team to come in and compete with Taylor Heineke and, and, and Kyle Allen. He came in here. Do you think that he had an opportunity to start anyplace else? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that there were probably better opportunities. Uh, well, no. I think that there were other opportunities. I think Denver could have been a possibility. I think Chicago could have been a possibility. Um, there was one other I had uh, this morning on my mind. Uh, the competition. Well, Denver's going with Drew Locke. Uh, Houston, Houston would have been Chicago an interesting. The competition in Chicago is much tougher for the job than the competition here. He came here because he thinks this is the easiest path, but I still think there's going to be a competition. I, I think there's every, every possibility that he may not start. Um. If he doesn't start, 
I would be absolutely, I mean, barring injury, obviously. If he doesn't start, I would right. be absolutely floored by it. I do not think that he signed a $10 million deal with $2 million in incentives, not a $4 million deal with $6 million in incentives, a $10 million base deal with $2 million in incentives, coming off, you know, debatably the best two years of his career, um, with a chance last year at the very end to get Miami into the postseason with the magical uh, comeback against the Raiders, and then he couldn't play against Buffalo. Um, I think that... You know Ryan Fitzpatrick at this point may have, to your to your point, may have selected among the teams that were interested the path that he thought was the no brainer to starting more than others. But I think there was a conversation that said, "Look, we want you to start next year. We want your leadership. We've got a couple of young guys that we like." Look, Tommy, let's let's face facts here. The one big takeaway, more than any other takeaway. From the Ryan, from this offseason, is they're not pleased with what they have. They're not confident in what they have. They tried to trade for yeah, Matt Stafford. True. They had, we've had reports about Marcus Mariota, Jared Goff, Derek Carr, Sam Darnold. Interest, expressing interest. Washington's expressed interest. Washington's one of the teams that's reached out. Ron Rivera told me when I asked him on radio last month. Um, he said, well, we have to go out there and we have to make absolutely sure. Um, and what he was saying was, you know, we've got two young guys that we do like that are very inexpensive, that one we just re-signed for very little committed guaranteed money, another that's super cheap in Kyle Allen on the tender at $850,000. Um, but we know we can do better and we're going to try to do better. You know, we have to make absolutely sure that they, 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 this, this offseason so far, the only thing we know about their offseason is they've been trying desperately to upgrade at quarterback. If you were going to bring in somebody to compete, you'd be, you, I think you'd be bringing in somebody to compete that also had more of a long-term upside, a guy that you're going to try to fix like Marcus Mariota or Jacoby Brissett, you know, um, I just think well, that... Well, you're assuming that, A, those guys would be available, and B... Well, they are available. ...that they come here. Well, what makes you think they come here? Um, uh, I certainly think a, a Tyrod don't Taylor you, or Jacoby are. Brissett would, yeah. And, and maybe even an Andy Dalton or maybe even a Marcus Mariota if he gets cut. You know, they did try and to, to go after Mariota. Look, the other thing... Uh, look, one thing is clear, as I said... They've been trying to upgrade a quarterback. They're not confident in their quarterback situation, okay? Whether it's for next year or probably even moving forward. Number two is that they – what was number two? I had it on my – and it just slipped my mind. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it'll come to you, but let me, let me just explain something to you here. Please, hold you on. Let me get my crayon so I can write it down. Big. They swung big. This is what you keep saying. Stafford, But they yeah. missed. Yeah. They keep missing. Right. Why do they keep missing? Because they're uh, stalled ex- offensively. Because what? And now they are stalled at quarterback for at least another year. They have no idea who their quarterback is going to be moving forward. Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick next year. But beyond that, they have no clue. They are, they are in the same place that they were 
before the Ryan Fitzpatrick trade. The Cowboys know who's going to be their quarterback for years to come. Mm-hmm. The Giants know. Right. Well, not, the, Giants, the Giants are hoping. But they, in their mind, they know. They're not shopping for another quarterback. Okay, so, I mean, this, look, I think it's going to be fun. I think they could be competitive and win some games. But uh, in terms of, of an organizational move, this is, this is basically like treading water in the middle of the ocean. You just, you, somebody, you just found another board to hang on to while you're treading water in the middle of the ocean. I'm really surprised that you've missed on what I thought might be your big takeaway from this, your go-to what, move. He's the, he's, the pol- he's the polar opposite of Alex Smith? No. that Ron, he is. That he's Ron, the exact opposite. Oh, he has a player 100%. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, game manager check down Charlie versus let's sling it to the guy yeah. whose defender has his back turned, and I think I can slip it just over his helmet into the tight end's hands. Um, no, your go-to move. What's your go? What's your go-to move in every one of these conversations? Look, and I have so many go-to. No, you moves. don't. You I have one go-to move. I would, I would line up, and I would literally just play you to go left. I'd say, go ahead, brother, because your only move is right. You got no chance. You got one move, and there you'd be fumbling it off your left hand, dribbling it off your leg, and maybe you'd try to shoot it, and then I'd just swat it into the first row. No, your go-to move is they've got to do well next year, and if they don't do well next year – then the owner, the owner's going to get fidgety. The owner's going to want to get back involved. Ron Rivera can't have a step back year. Can't have a step back year. And there's I'm a, just trying to judge this on the merits of the of the football. You never do that though. But I'm doing that now. Wow. Because people think this is a great football. Is move. that is that your and versatility and moves? Okay, football move. Huh? You think it's an okay? This move. is me. This is me telling you. As I blew by you, you'd say to me when I when we were done playing, "Well, you're a lot better than I thought you were." <laughs> oh my god! Which is what I used to hear all the time. Yeah, on the on, on the uh, playgrounds in in the Poconos, um, in yes. East Strasburg. Uh, so, I want to make one thing clear here: that I am excited about the move, but when you say it's an okay move. I don't think you're that far from the truth. I, I don't. It's not like they just hit a home run at quarterback and they figured it all out. I'm not saying that. I'm glad that they tried to figure it out and that they went for it with Stafford, and maybe they went for it in an, in another. You know, thought about going for it in another couple of ways. I mean, obviously, you know, Russell Wilson's not coming here, and Watson isn't going to come here, and and Jameis Winston, we always presumed, you know, if he was who we thought he or if he is what I think he could be, which is a guy that could have a second act to his career, then Sean Payton's not letting him go, which he didn't. He signed him yesterday. That Dak Prescott wasn't going to be available because Dallas, worst case, was going to tag him. Um, and, you know, who are we talking about then? We're talking about do you trade up you well, know if they really like Marcus Mariota it's, like they said they like the reports were yeah <clears throat> that they did he's probably going to be cut according to reports okay? yeah yeah possibility you yes they would have you think they would have waited for their chance except unless they heard 
that Marcus Mariota wouldn't be interested in playing for this team. Well, if they traded, if they traded a sixth rounder, Marcus Mariota wouldn't have had a choice, no, and that no, was the discussion. No, I'm was if that, they that didn't made... tra- if they didn't trade, if they decided they were going to wait till he became a free agent, and then try to sign him? Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Although I'll tell you, you know, Washington for a guy like him, not for a guy like Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson or maybe even Jameis Winston or Dak Prescott. Um, but for a guy like Mariota, it may have been a really good opportunity, you know, to come yes, in to but, work with a Scott and, Turner. And they, and they may have just learned through uh, back channels that if he was on the market, one of the teams he would not consider would be Washington football yeah, for whatever reason. It's certainly possible. I just remembered the other thing that I was going to say, that we've, we've learned two things during this offseason as it relates to the quarterback position. Number one, they clearly want to upgrade. You agree with that? That's obvious, right? Yes. Yeah, they don't they don't have the same I mean, look, feeling. They shouldn't feel good. Whether they look, here's what I think. I think that I think that Ron Rivera has a lot of faith in Kyle Allen. But he knows you can't look people in the building in the face and go with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke as your only two options at quarterback. You've got to have more. Well, who are you talking about looking in the face? Anybody. Anybody of, oh, of okay. Notes. I thought you were going to. I, mean, I, you thought, know, I, I, yeah, I thought you were I going right. I him. I thought you were going no, right again. No, no, no. In, in, in no, saying the no, owner. No, it's Rod Rivera may be saying, I may believe in the guy, but I understand why everybody else has a lot of questions about him. We can't. We've got to have more to show for the quarterback position than Two guys who can't stay healthy for more than a couple of games at a time. I thought and which, who have basically not proven themselves at all. I thought it's not what, like either one of them is a prospect. I thought what you were trying to do there was you were going to put the ball on the floor once with your left hand, but then quickly cross me up and come back to your strength. But you didn't do that. So two things, because no. I don't, I don't want to lose the thought again. Um, it, it happens more and more these days. Um, they want to upgrade at quarterback. That's what they've been trying to do because Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen, whether it's because they can't look somebody in the eye or whether in the building or whether it's because they really feel like they need to upgrade. Let's, let's understand something. The chances that Taylor Heineke and or Kyle Allen, based on last year or in, in the case of Taylor Heineke, any of his three starts can make it through a season is like slim and none. They're both very yeah. injury prone, it would appear. Um, but the other thing that definitely the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing um, says, based on what they've been trying to do, is that Ryan Fitzpatrick was not plan A. Okay? I don't know what plan he was, you know, but he wasn't plan A because plan A was Stafford. Plan B was probably somebody else younger with, you know, an ability to start for them for the next 10 years. You know, whether that was in their mind, maybe if Derek Carr became available or if Sam Darnold was truly available or not for a price that they would pay um, or whatever. Um, And maybe plan C was, all right, we got some veterans. We got a couple guys that are a little bit broken, Trubisky, Mariota, et cetera, et cetera, we can fix. Um, And then we got a real veteran and Ryan Fitzpatrick. This was – Ryan Fitzpatrick was not plan A. But plan A was to upgrade at quarterback. And so okay. that's why I so, believe I mean, he is times, starting. How many times does plan C work usually? I don't know. 
I, I think this is a unique plan C. Um, okay. Or D or B, uh, you know, or B. It's it's probably at least Plan C. It could be Plan D or E or F. Um, Tommy, <laughs> th- Tommy, they're Look, a better. I, I, th- I think <clears throat> I'm not I'm not criticizing the move. They're a better team today I, than I, they I were yesterday. I, I, period. Yes, they are. And for not I, a lot of money. I, I, I'm not criticizing the move. It's not a lot of money. Uh, I felt like, I mean they could like I said they couldn't really go into the season uh, with Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen as their only options, no matter how much Ron Rivera likes. A lot of people Kyle thought Allen. they could. So, well, I didn't. Okay. Uh, but uh, but uh, what my, my point is that it's nothing to get really juiced up about. Okay? Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick last year, okay, nine starts. The others were taken by Tua Tungavailoa. Um, he was fifth in, in league in the QP, in QBR. Um, he was, um, yeah, fifth in overall QBR last year, a pretty good number. In 2020, in 2019, excuse me, remember 2019, Tommy, was the game in which they they were trying Josh Rosen, remember, thought maybe Josh Rosen was the answer, and then fit, but they were tanking. Remember, they were tanking, and then Fitzpatrick came in against Washington in old Coach Cal's first game, and near and would have brought them back to a win if they hadn't. I think sort of intentionally tried to miss the two point conversion at the end when they put in a player to run the play that had never practiced it that week. But Fitzpatrick in 2019 in in uh, in 15 games played overall um, was eighth in the league in QBR. He is he is on paper been better in his last two years than he's been in most years of his career. I, I they're better. Let we, me go back in time for you like going back in time. Let me go back so in you. time the previous year. That's the only thing you remember. 2018. <clears throat> yeah. Veterans Day, 2018. Washington versus Tampa. Yeah. Right. Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. 19 of 27, 178 yards. Yep. One touchdown, no interceptions. Yeah. <clears throat> Ryan Fitzpatrick, 29 of 41 for 406 yards. Yeah. No touchdowns, two interceptions. Right. He had two receivers that caught over 100 yards passing that day. Right. You know how many points they scored? I do, three. Yes. Do you know why I know that? Because it's the only only game in NFL history where a team has had 500 or more yards in a game, total yards, and only scored three points. But you do remember you do remember what happened in that game, right? You remember do you remember some of the things that happened in that game? Yes. Uh, missed field missed field goals by Tampa, guys catching balls yes. going into the end zone, fumbling. They had more than just his two picks, which by the way, if I recall, one of them was just a drop that turned into a pick. And by the way, he has a high interception. Ratio. I know there are going to be games in which it's going to be like, oh my God, it was first and goal at the six. He got him all the way down there, and he threw the interception, and we lost the game. I understand. I understand what he's done over the course of of, the, of his career. That game was just one of the outliers of all time outliers in the history of the NFL. It was. And he just happened to be the quarterback. He was. You're right. And 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 remember, we came in here the next day because it was just a podcast year. That was the just podcast year. 
you were you had your radio thing on 1067 with Andy on Saturday mornings. I was just doing a podcast and I said that is truly one of the most fortunate wins any team could ever have. Washington could not stop them at all defensively. They moved up and down the field as if it were seven on seven. And their kicker missed two field goals. They fumbled like twice going into the end zone. And Fitzpatrick had a deflected uh, pass picked off. Um, And Washington couldn't stop him. And Alex Smith, he didn't turn it over. And they won the game 16-3. to And that was the key in that game because Tampa basically vomited all over themselves all day. But it was one of those games where I remember watching going, man, that Fitzpatrick, he can just deal. He can deal. And he can. It's, you know, he he has had some spectacular games during the course I of his career. That. And he's had some major flameouts, you know, uh, at the end of games. Um, I... The night this year when they beat the Raiders um, on that Saturday night game that kept them alive for the playoffs and knocked the Raiders out, the incredible, you know, he comes in for Tungavailoa at 16 to, you know, three or whatever it was, and he brings him back in the fourth quarter, and, you know, he, he, he's got the last drive where they, the, they're down 25-23 with 15 seconds to go, and he hits Hollins on that sideline pass where he got his whole helmet twisted off. Remember, there's a 15-yard penalty. They're in field goal range. They, they hit the field goal. They win in miraculous fashion. And he was just – the interview after the game, and then I think he was on with Scott afterwards or SportsCenter afterwards, and it was the moment of his career. It was the moment because he hadn't been in a playoff game. And the one year where they went 10-6 and six in New York with the Jets, and he had a phenomenal year that year, um, the, uh, it ended with a thud. It was a game they had to win in the, in the season finale, and he played poorly in that game. And they lost, and they fell to 10-6, and six, and they didn't make the postseason. He had a great year that year, like 30-something t- uh, touchdowns, you know, like 14, 13, 14 interceptions, something like that that year and the that that Saturday night it was like he was so he was so happy and the team the way they responded as he was being interviewed and I remember thinking god I hope he starts next week and I hope he gets his team into the postseason because you know there are similarities with Miami's team last year and and, and Washington's team very young very young and talented on defense in particular and that's why while Tua was winning some games, you know, they were winning games really with special teams and defense with Tua. And Fitzpatrick came in, kept him alive, and then he, you know, he had the COVID-19 issue and couldn't play in the Buffalo game, which, by the way, Brian Flores said that Tua was going to start the game, but they would have probably had to go to, to Fitzpatrick pretty early there. And, uh, you know, maybe they have a chance to get into the postseason last year. I, Tommy... Uh, he's one of the sites that me uh, updates their futures odds immediately uh, based on information. Um, I f- early this morning, Washington was had moved up significantly in the division race odds from like plus three fifty or plus four hundred to plus two fifty. Dallas is still the favorite. But the Fitzpatrick signing raised Washington to the clear-cut second 
pick in the division, where they were right there with the Giants or Eagles, below the Eagles, below the Giants, above one of them, depending on it. So I'm telling you, the boys in the desert, they think Washington got better. Probably not by a lot, but better than Philly. They've got right now the second-best quarterback situation that's known in the division because we don't know what Jalen Hurts is going to be, and the truth is we still don't know what Daniel Jones is going to be. I think the Giants have a better situation. I like Daniel Jones. I think that he's going to prove to be a a, a long-term answer for them. I don't know how good he'll he'll be, but he'll be a top half of the league starter. And, um, And at the same time, I think next year, Washington may have a better situation at quarterback. Now, they got to get more stuff for him. They got to get more stuff. So let me just go through a couple of notes real quickly that I have here. Number one, I like the move. Okay. Um, I am encouraged and I am excited about the move. It's not, would not have been my first choice. It wouldn't have been my second choice. I'd go like, I'd, I'd go after Deshaun Watson in a way in which I'd give up almost anything and probably would um, for that kind of answer. And I was all in on Matt Stafford, including what they offered. Um, Detroit for Matt Stafford. Um, but I like him. Um, he's here to start, in my opinion. And by the way, Adam Schefter reported as much um, as well um, that you know he will be the starter when camp opens, even though Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen will be there. And I do think it'll be framed as a competition. But I don't think $10 million, $2 million in incentives – at this point in his career, if he didn't have a really good understanding that he was essentially the starter going in, I don't know that he would have signed here. So I think he's here to start. I would be absolutely I would be shocked if he's not the starter opening day unless something happens physically to him. Um, he's also here to mentor the two quarter, young quarterbacks because I do think they like both, but I just don't think they're sure about either one. Um, I love the situation for him because it's a similar situation to the one he was in last year. Good young defense, good young defensive team, a good young team and a well-coached team. Um, and I think he really, like Alex did in his, his sort of intangibles, I think he brings a lot to the table. He needs weapons. They've got to add another tight end. Hunter Henry, between the time the radio show uh, ended and the time we started this podcast, Hunter Henry to New England. So they've signed Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, the two best tight ends in free agency. Uh, two things about that real quickly, Tommy. Number one, Bill Belichick does not want to go 7-9 and nine again. Number two is... No, that's obvious. Number two is Josh McDaniels. When they had um, Gronk and um, the murderer, why am I blanking on his name? Aaron Hernandez. When they had Hernandez and Gronk, Josh McDaniels, McDaniels I'll never forget, it was some sort of film thing with I don't know who it was on ESPN. Um, it could have been your your, your guy, uh, Cosell. Um, and he, he made a comment that I'll never forget. He said, when you've got multiple tight ends on the field that, that can run and catch, you dictate to a defense because they then have to make a big decision about staying in base defense or going to nickel. And what to, what these teams do and what New England's always believed in is if you can put a bunch of tight ends on the field that can run and catch, you're going to keep that other team in base defense. And then if they do play nickel, you've got tight ends out on the field that can block. So now you can run the ball. So it's one of the – this is what they're going back to. You, 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 when's the last time a team signed the top two tight end free agents? 
That's why they did it. That's what McDaniels believes in. That's what Belichick believes in. So um, that's going to be really interesting with Cam, two tight ends, the ability to dictate base defense. Hey, uh, we're going after you with guys that you can't cover. And in nickel defense, great. We got two guys on the field that can block. And, oh, by the way, a quarterback that can run too. So we're going to run it right down your throat when you're in nickel. That's, that's, the, that's the New England plan. I'd love to see – I think Washington needs the, – the tight end thing is interesting because now only Gerald Everett is left. Kyle Pitts won't be there for them in the draft. No chance. And yet Fitzpatrick, if you watch him over the years, he's a fearless down-the-field thrower, but a lot of times those throws are to tight ends. He loves getting tight ends on backers, and he loves with the backers. I mean, how many throws over the years have you watched Fitzpatrick? That linebacker's head is turned, and that ball goes whizzing over the backer's helmet right into the tight end's hands, down the middle, 18 to 20, you know, two yards, something like that. Uh, now, is Logan Thomas the answer? If they do believe Logan Thomas is, is the answer here, then they're going to have to extend Logan Thomas here in this offseason. If they think he's on the verge next year, with Fitzpatrick especially, catching 80 balls and 8, 9, 10 touchdowns, they better extend him here and not let him get to free agency next year. You know, again, if their vision is Logan Thomas and not another tight end, they got to wrap him up. But they got to give him more weapons. <clears throat> the um, Gibson is going to be great for him. Um, McKissick's going to be great for him. Uh, McLaurin obviously would be great for anybody. They still need another receiver, and they need if if Logan Thomas isn't the star they think he, that 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 maybe they think he is. I have no idea if they think that or not. They got to go get a tight end, and there's none left except for Gerald Everett, and he is second tier compared to you know Henry and Smith. Um, but uh, I still personally want the big future. But it ain't happening this year. They're not drafting a quarterback at 19, for those of you thinking, oh, well, we can still draft a quarterback. A lot of you that are negative about this, well, they're still going to draft a quarterback, right? They're still going to be looking for the quarterback of the future. Not at 19 overall, they're not. Now, if somebody slipped... No, but they, they may draft a quarterback later in the draft. Yeah, but they have three. See, um... The, the the thing, and I talked about this on the podcast yesterday, about thinking about the other quarterback. And last year, one of the things that Rivera talked about is they couldn't really have a real competition, you know, um, because of COVID, et cetera. If you're going to have a competition, Tommy, in the NFL in this day and age with the number of practices you get and the number of real hitting, you don't have a competition with three guys. Nobody goes into camp. I don't understand. Why couldn't they have a competition because of COVID? Uh, because they they didn't get a chance to compete. They didn't have preseason games. Well, they didn't I mean, have enough but, practices. But, but, they didn't, you know. But why, why couldn't you just pick Kyle Allen, who knows your offense then? Well, we've already gone. Why up. couldn't you just here pick we, Alex Smith? Here, here he goes. He's going 30. right again. Well, well, again. He's going right I mean, again. You keep saying. You keep saying that they couldn't have had a, a, a competition. I think they couldn't have had a competition because the owner wanted his guy to start. <laughs> there you go. That's he just why. went right. And I'm sitting there forcing but, you back to your left. True. This, this notion that COVID I agree. stopped them. Of I, the three guys well, who could play quarterback, the guy who was least prepared to play 
was the guy they started. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're we're, we're not we're not in disagreement here. We're not okay. in disagreement at all. I, I so don't don't you, don't lean on but, this COVID crutch. Here. No, well, you couldn't have a legitimate competition without preseason games or without more practices and without more off season. The bottom line is, the, I still believe to this day that Rivera and Scott Turner in starting Haskins were in some way sort of deferring to some sort of commitment that Dwayne was going to be given a chance. I believe that I believe that with you. I'm with you on that. But the other thing's true too. They couldn't have the normal competition. But that's not even the point. My point is that rarely do you have a training camp where there's a three-way competition for who's going to start. That's not what these guys are going to do. You don't even have enough reps in these practices and in these preseason games to have a three-way competition. Now, somebody said to me, well, Kyle Allen's only eight hundred and fifty grand. Are they going to cut him? Well, not yet, and I don't think they will anyway. But if they were to draft a quarterback that they really liked and thought had a potential future, they're not keeping four, so somebody would have to go, and it's not going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick, and it's probably not going to be Heineke, even though the guaranteed money wasn't so significant and wouldn't be so hard to swallow. I don't think they're put it this way. I'd be shocked if they draft a quarterback in the first or second round shocked. They have too many needs and we're going to get to the Darby thing and we're going to get to the linebacker thing here momentarily. But um, I, um, I just think that they signed him last night and they signed him with the expectation and with almost, you know, uh, a commitment to him that, He's you're you're the front runner. You're entering camp as our number one. You're going to be 39 next year, but you're coming off two of the better years of your career, and you're going to be you know what Alex was from an intangible standpoint, but a better quarterback, a more capable quarterback for us. So that's what I think. I mean, if if he ends up losing a training camp battle to Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen. I would be so surprised if they've got their backup quarterback or third-string okay. quarterback making $10 million bucks a year. Again, everything yeah. invested in the quarterback situation is a phenomenal situation for them. You know, the $12 million yeah. bucks or yes, whatever. Yes, it is. You know? Yes, it is. <clears throat> it's a really good you know, equation if, if, if Fitzpatrick can give me a, a year or two. Next year's not going to be easy. And the, and they're now missing some pieces on defense after yesterday, but um, I am excited about. Yeah, I am. I can't wait to see if Ryan Fitzpatrick can play at the level that he's played at the last couple of years. And he's going to have Tommy with this team in some of the field position. If the defense continues to get, you know, with the young guys get even better, uh, second year in in Turner and Rivera and Del Rio. Uh, he's going to have some big games, and there are going to be some games oh, next you year. Know you're like, you're like the, the prisoner who's been who's been behind bars for, this one for, a, for years uh-huh. with bread and water, <laughs> and all of a sudden the guards come and tell you, "You want to know something? We're going to start using butter from now on too." <laughs> and you are so happy <laughs> that you've got butter with your I bread know, know. that you can't wait to eat it. You're right. You're right. Well, you know, this place has been not only for the players, but for the fans, like a penitentiary. 
it, it has been that. I mean, so yeah, I'm you know I'm getting privileges that I haven't had for the last few years. You know what? I'm gonna have a chance to be with Brooksy in the library for a while. Um, I'm getting more library privileges. Uh. So you're okay with the move, but per usual, yes, per per your curmudgeon, you know, usual self, you are just so off put by people who are really excited about it. Okay, that are declaring like, "Oh, we're we're contenders." That's not me, by the way. Um, and I am very excited about it. I am glad that it's him versus some of the others that I would have been less excited about. Um, but not, not as excited as I would have been about Stafford or like a big move for Deshaun Watson or, you know, a move, even Sam Darnold. I'm a believer in Darnold. I think there's Darnold's going to find, um, a, a place where he can play. I'm not, you know, a hundred percent sure. And I've been wrong a lot on quarterbacks recently, but, um, I think it's going to be fun next year. And I think that they, and by the way, uh, the, the fit with Scott Turner and Cooley will be on with me tomorrow. So we'll talk more about this and he'll have a feel for it. Um, I think Scott Turner did one thing last year better than better than I thought he would. I think he really game planned for the opponent. You know, he he has a, a philosophy and things that he likes to do, um, but every game was a different game plan. They did throw the ball down the field in games. Taylor Heineke threw the ball down the field against Carolina when he came in. Threw the ball down the field in the Tampa Bay game. But with Dwayne against really good defenses like Baltimore and fast defenses, even Kyle Allen faced the Rams, they threw a lot of, of, of quick bubbles and got the ball out of the hands of the quarterback real quickly. Fitzpatrick can do all of that. He's very versatile in his ability to do a lot. The big downside with Ryan Fitzpatrick is he will make the killer mistake. And sometimes it happens right at the end of the game. (laughs) Um, So, anyway, what else you got on Fitzpatrick? That's it. I mean, I, I agree with some of what you said. I think they are better at quarterback today than they were before they made the move. But uh, I think it's, it's also an indication that they're still miles and miles away from being an organization with a quarterback for the future. Uh, I agree with that. There's no doubt about that. But there are a lot of teams that are in the same boat. Look at Pittsburgh, you know. Pittsburgh thinks they can win. How much more time does Ben really have? You know, um, Breeze saying – But at least they have the <clears> – <throat> to- at least they have the Ben years to keep them warm at night. You know what? That's true. Just like the Saints had the, the Breeze years to keep them warm at night, even though he wasn't necessarily great all the time the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, you have to – you know, there's one other thought I have on this. There's one other thought um, that I have on this. And I will share that thought with you, and we'll get to some of the other things related to the team, losing Ronald Darby and KPL right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I want to get to losing Ronald Darby, um, more so than losing Kevin Pierre-Lewis, um, what's next, et cetera. But you just said something to me during the break. I want you to say it again. Yeah, I wonder if the Kyle Allen injury has given Ron Rivera a little bit of pause about his, his faith in Kyle Allen. I mean, not only just his recovery, which uh, you know, may or may not be timely, but also the fact that he wasn't able to hold up when he put him out there. Uh, you know, I'm just wondering if, I mean, as much as, look, I, I think his favorite quarterback on the roster is still Kyle Allen, but I think he has questions maybe about his durability. I think that's a really good point because it was made clear to me, and I think this was out there, so that the recovery was longer than they had anticipated, but that he would be ready when they got to, to camp at the end of July, worst case. So it wasn't putting him in jeopardy of missing the significant part of the offseason training camp preseason games to get ready for the regular season, but that you know the ankle surgery and the recovery from that went slower than they thought it would. Um so I think somebody reported that at some point. So, yes. Well, not to mention, again, Taylor Heineke has started three games in his NFL career, and he's been injured in all three. Kyle Allen right. got injured in two, ga- two games last year. He got injured in the, yeah. in the Giant game, at home, the Rams game, which knocked him out, which brought Alex in for that gruesome second half against Aaron Donald and the Rams defense. And then he got injured for good in the Giant game, which brought Alex in as well. By the way, all those people saying, you know, um, I, I can't deal with the, the, the interceptions that Fitzpatrick throws. You know who threw interceptions last year, people, boys and girls? Your game manager, your don't-turn-the-ball-over guy, Alex Smith. He turned the ball over a lot last year. He had eight interceptions in eight games, and it cost him in a couple of those games. So... um, Anyway, Alex Smith was near the bottom of every statistical category you could think of. At the same time, intangibles-wise, he was invaluable. I understand all that. Fitzpatrick was at the top, in the top 10 of a lot of the you know categories, um, and his intangibles were off the charts last year, too. They are getting a totally different player in Fitzpatrick, but they're getting a lot of the same leadership and character and mentor and all the other good stuff that came with Alex Smith. And they're getting a player that plays differently. As long as he doesn't age overnight. You know what? I thought about that too. That when you said you think this is a competition and you wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start, there's always the possibility 
that, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick um, goes, you know, essentially ended the year as a 38-year-old but starts next year as a 54-year-old and that the, the, the arm strength and the physical and whatever. Um, but uh, I'm not counting on it. So here, here was, before we get to Ronald Darby and what's next for them, <clears throat> I think that the long-term quarterback solution, you've always got to be thinking about that. Always have to, where is our guy? Because if we don't have the guy, then, you know, every year is going to be a scramble to try to put something together to, you know, cobble up nine or ten wins and make the postseason. Every team in the league that doesn't have one of those elite guys is essentially in that same position every year, right? If they're not at the bottom, they're in, can we put something together? Can we get a guy that's just good enough? Can we get a guy that has a year? And we go to the postseason. So if you can't get that guy, which they're not going to be able to get, in, they believe, I think, based on this signing, they're not going to get in this offseason, you've got to still you know, try to win next year. It's the NFL. Anything can happen. If you've got, you know, stay healthy and you've got good enough at quarterback and you've got a good defense and you're coached well and you've got good, you know, you got a good locker room and all those things, you can put together a 9-10 win season and be in the postseason again. You don't just write off 2021 because you didn't get Matt Stafford or there was no chance of you getting Justin Fields without trading a fortune to go up and get him. You know, you you... You, you don't write it off. And I think that the reason they've been going through all this process is that they're worried that if they didn't have somebody this year to sort of keep it together, that they could have a real step back year with Allen or Heineke. And by the way, I don't know if that's true or not in terms of do I believe they would have sucked with, with Allen or Heineke? I don't know. I thought Allen actually played pretty well when the, he was healthy. I thought Heineke so is I. I thought Heineke is intriguing. But I also think what Matt Bowen told me on the radio show last week, and I think Matt does a really good job of of evaluating football. He just said they're both really good number twos. They're just not number ones. That's what you have right now. And he actually predicted that they would go for a veteran for this year, and his prediction was Dalton. Um, but he brought up Fitzpatrick because I brought up Fitz, Fitzpatrick to him, and you know he thought that you know th- that was a possibility. But he he leaned Dalton. But you know maybe what they recognize is one of these two guys could become a number one, but we're not sure. We know for sure they're strong number twos. We got to go get a number one. We we got to try to cobble together nine and seven next year and be in the division race. And maybe we're going to have to solve the long-term quarterback thing after next year. Look, if you don't have a real strong feeling about your long-term quarterback guy, you can't punt on a season. You still got to figure it out. Let's say Ryan Fitzpatrick has a really good year next year, and they go nine and seven, and they lose a wild card game again. And then you know they sign Ryan Fitzpatrick to another year, or they have an opportunity that next year's the year. We got it. We 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 can go get our guy, uh, whoever it is in free agency or whatever, or draft or whatever. Um, but maybe that doesn't exist next year, and they're going to have to cobble up some other answer. I think this is them saying we're not confident in what we have, but we like a lot about our team, and we built some momentum. And Ryan Fitzpatrick gives us a chance to continue to build and have a, a competitive season. 
And I think he does give them that chance. And I feel more confident about uh, confident in him giving the, them that chance than I do about Heineke or Allen giving them that chance. But that's just me. Um, so Ronald Darby <clears throat> signs the um, the deal with Denver. This is a this is a loss, Tommy. Ronald Darby played really well last year for them. He was a perfect fit for their system. I think he was their most consistent corner last year. I don't know what they offered him or how aggressive they were. He signed a three-year, $30 million deal with Denver. I think it's $20 million guaranteed. It's a, not a bad deal in a year where, where a lot of people think that the second-tier guys were going to sign one-year deals. Well, Vic Fangio and George Payton, the new GM in Denver who came from Minnesota, and they had a lot of corners in Minnesota over the years, and Vic Fangio, to me, is one of the two, three, four best defensive minds in the game and one of the best defensive coaches in the game. May not be a good head coach. Uh, they saw something in Darby to give him the long-term deal. And I, I think they're, you know, I, I don't know where they go now. I mean, Fabian Moreau's a free agent. He got more snaps at the end of last year. Perhaps that's the direction they turn to. Jackson's still out there as a free agent. There aren't a lot of corners in free agency. There could be some corners at 19, but you don't draft a corner at 19 and think, well, we definitely have our answer next year. Not at that position. It can happen. It doesn't always happen. Um, I think they lost something with Darby. I don't know what their offer was. I'm sure we're going to find out from somebody what they offered Darby and how aggressive they were with Darby. But they lost a guy, and what really confirms in my mind that they lost a really good player is the team that signed him and the deal that he got signed to. Smart, defensive people, and they gave him multiple years. In a year in which a lot of these guys that are supposedly second tier are going to get much shorter deals. Not that everybody is, I understand that. Are we still operating under the premise that uh, we we trust in Ron? Yes, I am. We believe in Ron. In fact, even more so with a front office that includes two smart guys like Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew. Yes, that I am. That could be even more so. Okay. Yep. I mean... So I'm... even the moves that you don't understand or don't agree <laughs> with, you have to, you have to say, but... These guys know what they're doing, right? I've been in the penitentiary for 20 years. We just got a new warden, and he just he just gave me a stick of butter. I mean, yeah, I like him right now. Okay, okay. Okay, so, so that's fine then. I mean, I just want to make sure we're clear on that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's been Ron Rivera we trust, and now he's got help, so there's trust should be even deeper. So when they don't get the big names in free agency that people want, and you see players that you fell in love with last year leave, it's okay. By the way, I didn't fall because in love with it. I didn't fall in love with him. He was a good player for them. He was a good player. Yeah, he played well. Yeah. You know who could be coming back? Have you thought about this one? Josh Norman. How about Josh Norman comes back here? You know, Josh Norman had a decent year in Buffalo last year. The best years of his career were with Ron Rivera in a scheme that fit, you know, in Carolina. 
You know who said some of the nicest things about Ron Rivera when he got hired? Josh Norman. I... I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. He's available. The Matador returns. He's out there. Well, he'll he'll tackle people. He will tackle people. That's the one thing you know about Josh Norman. He will compete and he'll stick his nose in there and he'll try to knock the ball out. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I think I asked Jay Gruden about the fit. He really liked. I mean, I remember him telling me we really liked Josh Norman and I liked him as a person. I liked him as a player. And maybe it was our fault, uh, you know, in not, in, in not putting him in the best of positions. But the other thing he said to me now that I think about it is, I think this was on the air, on the podcast. He said, um, we stunk up front for the, you know, he's like, we, were, we just weren't good enough up front. That's why we drafted John Allen. That's why we, you know, ended up drafting Deron Payne. We had to get better up front. Yeah. We know we we know that we we witnessed it, and so you know it's essentially saying it wasn't all Josh Norman. I don't know, something to keep in mind, Josh Norman. Okay, <laughs> I like the Matador personally. Uh one of he I've said this a million times about him. I loved interviewing Josh Norman. I loved sitting in that studio of ours. And I've, I don't think that you and I did it together because I think maybe, well, maybe we did when he first got there. But I think the first day he was signed, you and I were doing the yeah. show from the park. Um, he has, there's something to him that's interesting. Like he, he is, um, he's not a narrow guy. Like he's got a lot of different interests. And I think that he is um, an interesting. Like bullfighting. Yeah, bullfighting. Uh, big soccer yeah. fan, big art guy. Um, you know, he was media critic too. He's he's a media critic. He's a media critic. Remember his rant about the media? Oh yeah. Well, we've heard that from so many of them. Um, but I remember, you know, there was a conversation with him one day. I think it was Cooley and I, and he was like, you know, he'd spent the whole off season in Europe, going from museum to museum. I mean, not, I'm not trying to make him out to be, you know. Um, the most culturally uh, uh, diverse person, um, uh, you know, or most eclectic person. Um, but I, I always thought that there was something to him. Uh, he has great personality. Um, but anyway, uh, it didn't work here. I'm just saying this is a different coaching staff, and this is a coaching staff that's totally familiar with him. And they just lost Ronald, Ronald Darby, and they don't. They really just don't have an answer right now at corner. I mean, you've got Kendall Fuller. You've got um, you've got Jimmy Moreland, and that is what's under contract right now. You know, Fabian Moreau, I don't know if there's going to be a market for him. It's not a first-tier market for him, clearly. Um, you know, Danny Johnson, uh, you know, you can always, as a nickel guy, they use Cam Curl at times. I, they need a corner. They, they just lost a guy that you could argue was their best and most consistent defensive back last year. And they lost him. I don't, it'll be interesting to see how hard they went after him. Uh, but he is going to play for a defense. Um, th- by the way, they had a need. Denver had a significant need at the position. So they were desperate, and maybe they just offered much more money. The spot rack projection, I think, was 9.5, so he got 10. Um, the, uh, you know, that, that team with Chubb and Miller 
you know, and and Jackson. That, that, that's it. And Justin Simmons, who they tagged. Remember, they tagged the safety, Simmons. And they are so well coached defensively. God, Vic Fangio, everywhere he's gone, he's done a phenomenal job defensively. Uh, I just don't know if he's a head coach. Um, KPL losing Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Remember, he was hurt at the end of the year. His snap count went down at the end of the year. So... He got two. He got eight million in, for two years in Houston. I know they liked him. I'm sure they would have loved to have been able to keep him, but you know, probably couldn't promise him anything, and probably couldn't pay him um, what Houston uh, decided to pay him. But you know, back to the corner thing. I think Fabian Moreau becomes a little bit interesting now because Moreau's snap count really picked up at the end of the year, if I recall. I, if I'm wrong about that, somebody can tweet me. But my memory tells me that the snap count really – he went several weeks with barely even playing, and then all of a sudden we started to see more of Moreau, and it wasn't necessarily because of injury. So – I think everything is going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's next? Corner? I mean, tight end? Wide receiver, Galladay's still out there. You know, they got to want to come here, too. And, you know, remember, yeah. Tommy, part of the conversation we've had is, are you going to be able to track free agents with Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen as your only quarterbacks offensively? And the answer is point. probably no. And Fitzpatrick, you know, on a one-year deal for somebody to come here or a short-term deal, uh, he's – you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you a chance to catch a lot of balls. Yes, he will. So, what else do you have on football team? And you got to love that beard, right? Oh yeah, you got to love the beard. Uh, you gotta, Mother of the brush. You got to love his personality. Everything about him will be fun. Um, it'll be really. You know interesting. what's funny? <laughs> I mean, there's not many professions where where going to Harvard makes you an underdog. <laughs> it's true but yeah but in football it does right well it's just like yeah of course oh he uh, he played in the ivy league uh that well yeah. i mean yeah, remember if i don't know if i'm being repetitive here because i can't remember if i said it on this podcast or the radio show his first start of his nfl career came in 2005 in st louis with the Rams against your Washington Redskins. They were the Redskins back then. Um, And that turned into the first of five wins in a row at the end of 2005 that led to their last playoff win, which came in Tampa. Yeah, it's been 15 years since their last playoff win January of 2006 and their the, the winning streak in Joe Gibbs's second year they started that winning streak against the St. Louis Rams beating um Ryan Fitzpatrick uh 24 to 9 in his debut as a starter from Harvard. Remember there was that stretch Tommy of a couple of years where they could not beat rookie quarterbacks. Oh yeah. The other thing Ryan Fitzpatrick was the starter for Buffalo when Washington played Buffalo in Toronto and they got beat 23 to nothing with John Beckett quarterback. The John um, Beck game. That was one of the John Beck games, yeah. That was one of them. Uh, man, all warm-up team. 
was John Beck. He looked good in, in the warm-up suit going through layup lines. Um, he he that 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 warm-up suit when he peeled it off, um, he he was soiling himself as he realized he was going to actually have to enter the game and play. Um, which, by the way, is yeah, what the glory of John Beck was. Oh God, here he how he basically talked he he talked himself into being the starting quarterback. Like months before camp even opened, you remember he started a campaign in January, yeah, publicly, right, basically declaring he was the starter, yeah, and he continued that. He like talked it into existence. He got that first opportunity against Carolina. Um, okay, it's 2011. You and I are arguing the Beck Rex thing all year long. Oh my God. The the Beck Rex thing be, it, it, on our show. We should have won some kind of an award for that. <laughs> we could. We should have. Um, we should have. We're talking about John Beck and Rex Grossman, and you would have thought we were talking about Johnny Unitas and Joe Montana. Right. Ye, the um, the remember it was a good start to that year because they were you know they were three and one, they lost to Dallas Monday night eighteen sixteen was the score. You know, Rex is playing pretty well. And then they had the game against Philadelphia for, like, first place um, in the division. And Rex did not play well in the game, had turnovers, and they came in with John Beck. Four interceptions, right? Yep, and maybe a lot of them in the first half. And then the reason, ultimately, and we didn't know it at the time. We found out after the fact. Rex had pneumonia. And that's why um, Beck got the start the following week. Was it against the 49ers when he had all those check down throws to um, the Roy the Roy Halu record? Book, Roy Halu, Roy Halu, good call, Roy Halu. I, th- I I think he had 14 catches in the game, and he still has the record. He's and still a- the record, I think, and averaged I think negative two yards per catch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I forget if it, if that was the first game or not. But the one thing we learned was it wasn't necessarily the Shanahan saying we're giving up on Rex because we love Beck. Um, Rex had pneumonia and was really sick there for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, they didn't win any of those games. And, you know, if anybody believed in Beck after a couple of starts of watching him, you realized he couldn't do it. Um, And, and yeah, and then whatever. It um, It was a weird year. That was a strange year because it started so promisingly. Um, all right. Uh, when we come back, a couple of other NFL notes from free agency. Want to weigh in on some of that. Tommy wants to, and I'd like to have the conversation with Tommy about Marvelous Marvin Hagler. He wrote a column about it as well. That and a few more things right after this word from one of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
Tommy's going to weigh in on Marvelous Marvin Hagler. I also uh, want to talk about Archie Miller getting fired in Indiana because I think it's a it's a real um, warning sign um, about a lot of different coaching situations, including one here locally. Um, but I um, I wanted to just – we didn't touch on a lot of the other NFL free agency stuff because it has been a wild – you know, uh, if uh, not necessarily for Washington um, and not for every team, but I wanted to mention, you know, a couple of the deals um, that happened. First of all, you know, the one-year deal for uh, Winston in New Orleans with Taysom Hill also restructuring his deal. I'm just telling you right now, for those of you that have asked about, it sounds like it's a competition. Uh, again, I'd be absolutely stunned if Jameis Winston isn't the starting quarterback in New Orleans next year. That's a really good football team, and that's a really good head coach that knows how to coach quarterbacks and knows how to call plays. I I just think that that is actually one of the more intriguing situations to watch next year. Taysom Hill's going to be used as a backup and in all those you know packages that he's always been used uh, in, but I would be really surprised, very surprised, if Jameis Winston isn't the starter there. We already mentioned the tight end situation and the Patriots going all in on free agency, one deal after another, including Matthew Judon, but they added Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith today, and as I told Tommy earlier, God, nobody loves multiple tight ends um, on a field uh, to force defenses into either base or, or if they go nickel, being able to have blockers on the field to run the football than Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. They're going in all big here, Tommy, on free agency. This is what they were waiting for. All the money freed up. They're going big in free agency. The Patriots, you know, the quarterback thing is still a big question mark with Cam. It'll be interesting to see if they do anything else um, but the Patriots are not they do not think that they can go one more another year being seven and nine um, there were a couple of other deals that I wanted to mention well clearly the Joe Thune deal to Kansas City I mean the kind of money that a guard got five years 80 million bucks with essentially 47 million of it guaranteed as long as he makes it to year two that is the Brandon Sheriff thing I don't know what Washington offered in terms of a long-term deal, but the, you know we we all thought well it's got to start with a 15. Well, apparently it had to start with a 16 in front of it in terms of the average annual. And by the way, it had to be well in in, in, in excess of 50 percent of it guaranteed for a guard, as Jay Gruden would say. Um, Bud Dupree to Tennessee. I love him as a player coming off that injury. Um, uh, oh, well, the Aguilar to, to the Patriots, along with Bourne, along with Jonu Smith, along with Hunter Henry, you know, whoever the quarterback is, they're going to give them every shot to be successful. Uh, I thought it was really smart for the Rams to retain Leonard Floyd. He had a big year. I, I, w- I would have been surprised had Sean let him go. He was really good last year. They didn't have any choice on John Johnson. Um, the safety Corey Davis, who was a receiver that I thought Washington could target, um, ended up getting a three-year, thirty-seven and a half million dollar deal with the with the Jets, so over ten million a year. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of it, you know. And in terms of the guys that are still available, well, Trent Williams is still available, um, and Kenny Galladay is still available, <clears throat> and uh, Jackson, the corner, still available. Schuster's still available, so there's still some guys out there. Fuller's still available. You know, what would the, what about Patrick Peterson or Josh Norman? Be interesting. Anyway, um, 
I still think the team's going to go into the free agency and make more noise in free agency, but it's going to be probably similar to last year, which, by the way, Tommy, they did pretty well last year with McKissick and with Logan Thomas and with Ronald Darby. They did well in free agency last year on the second-tier market. They swung big on Amari Cooper, missed, but they ended up doing pretty well. Anyway, uh, do you have any thoughts on free agency? Who who do you expect them to go out, or what position are you expecting news on with respect to Washington here over the next day or two? Well, I think I'm like most of the uh, of, of the Washington fans out there. I think they're expecting a wide receiver at some point. Uh, you know, another weapon for Fitzmagic to throw to, especially now since everyone's excited about the quarterback. Uh, and there's been this perception all along for two years now that they need receiving help. And we know that they swung and missed on, on Amari Cooper last year. And uh, I, I think they're going to be aggressive and, and land somebody at wide receiver, if not plan A or plan B or plan C, maybe plan F or plan R. Why did you go from F to R? Isn't that the way the alphabet goes? Mm. Maybe. Um, one other quick thing on just the whole NFL and all the movement. Did you see that Pete Carroll apparently really likes Sam Darnold? I, I, I think Sam Darnold's got a chance too, but I just don't know why anyone would want to trade Russell Wilson or allow it to happen. I, I don't – the Russell Wilson – Unless there's something personal going on. <sighs> You got to fix that if there is. That's Russell Wilson. I agree. He is the he is the Seattle Seahawks. He's the reason you've been a sustained winner since 2012 for 9 years. He's the reason. How many times have they missed the playoffs in 9 years? Not much. I mean maybe once, twice. I'm with you. I'm actually curious as to still, how many. And you, you you remain convinced as each day passes that Houston is not going to trade Deshaun Watson, right? Char- I had Charlie on the show earlier this week. Charlie thinks they will. Really? So, yep. Wow. So, um, yeah. I, I, well, that would be a major disappointment for Washington football fans if they see Deshaun Watson traded. Well, he he's got a no trade clause, so he can influence where he goes. Keep that in mind. I know. So I, I know. you know, I don't think here is going to be at the top of his list. By the way, Russell Wilson. And that's the Seattle... always the go-to answer, though. That's always the answer. What? I don't think he'd want to come here. I know. Well, I I don't think he's already sort of talked about the t- places he'd like to go. Um, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about anybody in general. Okay, but also yeah. remember this. Washington doesn't have nearly as much ammo to get Deshaun Watson or even Russell Wilson like some of the other teams do. I know. Um, Russell I Wilson's – and, and, and since Russell Wilson took over in 2012, the season of 2012, they've missed the playoffs once. Once. 2018. I'm sorry, the 2017 season – 2018 postseason, they didn't make it. So that's what a that's what a true elite quarterback basically ensures. You're going to the playoffs a lot more than you're not. 
A great defense means you can go, you know, if you get the right situation, you can win it and win big one year, but you're not going to the playoffs eight out of nine years, you know, without the quarterback, without the really good quarterback. And by the way, I bet you in that year they didn't go to the postseason. They were nine and seven. It's not like they sucked. They were nine and seven the year they did not go to the postseason, the only year they didn't go to the postseason. I just don't know why, if you're a franchise, you would ever allow yourself to be back into the quarterback-searching wilderness. Like, you have one of the guys. If you really think he's on the verge of deteriorating and you are selling high, you know, at the highest point, and it's all downhill from here for Russell Wilson, okay, And I know that there were times last year where he struggled. They had offensive line issues. They had a lot of injuries last year. But through the first five games of the year last year, he was the front runner for the MVP. He had thrown in the first four games of the year last year, first five games of the year last year. Remember the pace he was on? He threw 9, 14, 16, 19 touchdowns, three interceptions in in the 5-0 start. He had 19 touchdowns in five games. He was killing it. His pass completion percentage was 77% in those first five games. I don't know, man. I don't get it. I don't get even entertaining it. It would be if I were the owner... And unless they told me, you know, he really has got a shoulder that's going to be an issue and this is going to be the downfall of his career and nobody else knows it, we should sell right now and he wants to leave anyway. If, they, if, if I didn't believe any, uh, about any of that shit uh, about his physical well-being, I, I would just say, Pete, are you out of your fucking mind? We've missed yeah. the playoffs one time because of this dude. And the one year we missed it, we were still 9-7. and seven. You're telling me that you want to trade him to the Jets for Sam Darnold because you think Darnold could be the next Russell Wilson? I've already got Russell Wilson, and he's only 32. Like, I got five more years of us contending. Yeah, but he doesn't want to be here. He doesn't like us anymore. We'll make him like you, all right? Dress up. Dress differently. Get in shape. (laughs) Use different cologne. Make him love you again. I mean... It's so hard, and you know what? Being in the penitentiary that we've been in for 21, uh, forever, without having a quarterback, I'm so jealous at the teams that have had the ability to go into every year with a quarterback where you know if that guy stays upright for 16 games, we're in the playoffs. We're in the playoffs. Yeah. We have Tom Brady. We have Aaron Rodgers. We have Russell Wilson. You know, we have Patrick Mahomes or we have Josh Allen now. Those guys, Buffalo and Kansas City, they're going to the playoffs four or five out of every six years. And in three of those years, they're going to be like legitimate Super Bowl contenders. Chase Young's really good. He's my favorite player. I think he's the best, has a chance to be the best pound-for-pound player Washington's had in a long, long time. Sean Taylor would be the last one we'd even debate. But they're not going to the playoffs if they've got average quarterbacking Five out of every six years with a chance to win it, you know, two or three of those years just because they have Chase Young. Not in today's NFL. Not going to happen. I just don't understand if, you know, you have one, why you think you it, they're so easy to go get. Oh, we'll just trade him. We'll get somebody else. We'll get somebody else. All right. Uh, 
couple thoughts on college hoops and Tommy's column on Marvelous Marvin Hagler right after this word from one of our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another right hand. Hearns turns his back, takes another right. Hearns in deep trouble again. Hearns is down. Hearns is down in the third round. And on his back. And he's not going to beat the count. I don't believe. Tommy Hearns tries to get up and he... They've got to stop this fight. Does he get up? He Uh, Tim Murray, who was on with me yesterday, Tommy, because we did a lot of bracket and college basketball NCAA tournament talk, had never seen that fight, had never seen Hearns Hagler. And so I put him on my knee. I find that so hard to believe. I put him on my knee, and Uncle Kevin (laughs) gave Tim a one job yesterday. Uh, And I said, it's 17 minutes, but it'll be worth it. I haven't heard back from him because I'm sure he didn't do it. But I may, I've made all three of my boys watch that fight, which I've probably seen a hundred times over the years. Yeah. But, but Hagler Hearns was one of the best ever. Um, you covered him. Um, he passed away at the age of 66. By the way, what, what did he pass away from? Do we know yet? Don't know yet. He went into hospital complaining of chest pains. Okay. Um, so go ahead. You wrote a column about him. Well, I wrote a column. Uh, I talked to, uh, you know, I mean, in addition to the Hearns fight, the fight he's known for is the one he lost to Ray Leonard, the one uh, that, you know, that ultimately ended his career when he decided to retire. So I talked to one of Ray's uh, advisors, J.D. Brown, uh, a little bit about that fight. And, uh, you know, everyone knows how bitter... uh, Hagler was that about the decision, the disputed decision, he thought he won the fight. And it may arguably be the most disputed result in a fight uh, that we've, we've debated in, in boxing in our lifetime is the outcome of, of, of that fight. I thought Hagler but won the they, fight. Who did you think won the fight? I know well, we've talked about it, but I forget. I thought Ray won the fight. Okay. I thought Ray won the fight. It's interesting that both Boston papers his hometown papers had Ray winning the fight. Uh, Ron Borges had the Hagler Herald. winning the fight from the Globe. No, the Herald and the Globe. There were two. Uh, there were the two Globe guys. Had... I've got it right here because, you're, as you said, okay. it was one of the most polarizing, you know, decisions in terms of how people saw that fight in boxing history. And the Boston Globe's Ron Borges had at one fifteen, one thirteen Hagler, and the Boston Globe's Steve Morantz had at one seventeen, one eleven Leonard, and then the Boston Herald had at one sixteen, one thirteen Leonard. Yeah. So two out of yeah. the three so, guys writing, yeah. Right. So I talked to uh, I talked to JD about that, and he told the story about how uh, 
he had put, he had scouted Hagler's training sessions and wore a disguise so that he wouldn't be seen, and even had you know, and uh, Ray's uh, manager Mike Trainer said that JD had to have pictures taken to prove that he was there. So JD got up when Hagler was signing autographs. Who was JD again? I'm uh, sorry. Took, make, make it clear who JD, JD is Brown again. Is one, JD Brown is one of Sugar Ray Leonard's close friends and advisors. Okay, got it. And has been with him for decades. Okay. And was working with him in the Hagler fight and was scouting Hagler's training sessions in disguise and got a picture taken with Hagler while Marvin was signing autographs. Uh, Marvin, who knew JD, didn't recognize him. And then they published that picture in Sports Illustrated uh, after the fight. Uh, and J.D. said he saw uh, Hagler up in Atlantic City a few years later, and he thought Hagler was going to punch him out. He was so angry. He was really bitter and angry about that. And this was the interesting part. Uh, he said a few years ago up at the Hall of Fame ceremonies in Canastota, uh, Ray uh, sat with Hagler at a luncheon table, and they were very cordial and very nice, and everyone was getting along great. And this was a big step because, uh, I mean, they hadn't talked to each other right. in, in years. And uh, Ray was working on something called, you know, George Kimball, who wrote for the Boston Herald, wrote this book called The Four Kings. And that's what Hearns, Tommy Hearns, Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran and Marvin Hagler were right. called the four welterweight middleweight fighters who dominated the 80s. Yep. Uh, so Ray proposed a four kings tour where they basically go around the country and, you know, get interviewed and do press conferences and start. And, and uh, Duran and, and Hearns were all for it. Hagler couldn't do it. He couldn't bring himself to do it. Couldn't stomach it. He was so, really bitter. Uh, yeah, he really was. You know, but I don't think, my point is in the column, I don't think it diminishes Hagler's legacy, the loss. What is Hagler's legacy? I really don't think it does. Well, I think Hagler's legacy is arguably the greatest middleweight champion of all time. I mean, people will argue Sugar Ray Robinson, who was middleweight championship, but, but Ray Robinson was probably a better welterweight champion uh, than middleweight champion as he got older. So, I mean, you can make the case Marvin, who defended his title 12 times successfully, was probably the best middleweight champion uh, that we've ever seen, at least. And I don't think that gets, that gets taken away with Leonard's win. I mean, if, if Marvin won, all he would have done is beaten a smaller man who hadn't fought in three and a half years. It would not have been that great of a victory. In, in the scheme of things. It was a no-win situation for Marvin other than the money that he would make. I mean, you know, if he lost, he lost to a guy who hadn't, hadn't been in the ring in almost four years. I know. Who was smaller than him. But, but it was the fight that everybody wanted to see, and Ray came back for it, and... Tommy, I think that the odds on that fight going in were really super close. You know, Hagler was not like a major favorite. I'm looking it up right now to see exactly what the the odds on the fight were um, going in. Well, the odds, odds makers knew. I mean, Ray got everything he wanted before the fight. 
It was 12, 12 rounds size, instead of 15 12, rounds. Yeah. He got the smaller ring. You got the, you're than, right. Than, so, I mean, the odds makers knew everything was, and, you know, Ray was the judge's favorite. And, but, but, I mean, like I, I've always said, if you're fighting a guy who hasn't been in the ring that long, who's the smaller guy, you don't leave it up to the judges. That was always you know, the argument. Yeah. had himself to blame. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other, the other, you know, thing was you got to knock out the champ to beat the champ and it wasn't a knockout. Ray Leonard won the the final 30 seconds of every round after in most of those rounds being beaten for the first two and a half minutes. There was a real influence late in those rounds. Do you remember? I mean, I've watched that fight so many times where Ray in the last 30 seconds would start flurrying and there was so much activity. And meantime, like for the first two to two and a half minutes of the round, it seemed like Hagler owned him. I I just remember that was... I don't think that's the case. I don't think Hagler owned him in the first two and a half minutes of a lot of those rounds. Here's another thing that Ray did. Uh, And this is what J.D. discovered. In, uh, in the training and just watching their fight films. What Hagler liked to do at the end, at, at the beginning of every round, he liked to be in the middle of the ring waiting for the guy to come off his stool when the bell rang. He liked to be there, right? Because that's where he wanted to fight you. Right. You know? He wanted you right there. Well, Ray turned that around. Ray was the guy waiting for Hagler after every round, right before the bell rang to start the round. And that unnerved Hagler a little bit. That took him out of his game. I don't think it was a clear-cut two-and-a-half Hagler and then 30 seconds Ray. I think Ray won the fight. Uh, I, I just remember way back, I haven't seen that fight in a long time, just thinking that Hagler was robbed, that Hagler won that fight. Um, and I think it was the ninth round where Hagler really had Leonard in trouble. I thought just he was the aggressor throughout in that fight that he had outpointed him in that fight. I was a huge Leonard fan, but I was also a huge Hagler fan. I remember I, I bought tickets and watched that on closed circuit at Coalfield House, Tommy, for like 40 bucks. I think the tickets were 40 bucks to go in um, to watch that on closed circuit, and it was sold out. Do you know that fight was so big that I want to say that the Capitol Center, Coalfield House, and the Patriot Center at Mason all had sellouts for the closed-circuit telecast of that fight. That's how big and anticipated that fight was. Um, Well, I always have said that Ray Leonard was like another sports franchise in this town. He was like Washington or the Capitals or the Wizards. He was his own sports franchise uh, from the time he turned pro until uh, uh, until he retired. So, yeah, I can see that. The Hagler-Hearns fight, though, um, as mentioned, I think it's the most exciting and the best first round in championship boxing history. And in terms of the three rounds, there's never been more action packed into into a three-round fight like that one. And the ending, when Hagler gets cut and he smells and tastes and sees his own blood, um, poor Tommy, he didn't have a chance at that point because he was going to end it. And, you know, the thing about Hearns... You know, at one at one point, uh, the referee came back into Hagler's corner in between rounds uh, when he was when I guess because he was bleeding, and uh, the referee said, "Are you okay?" And Hagler said, "Am I missing him?" 
<laughs> um, you know, I love you know I loved all those fighters of that era. I loved Hearns. I loved Duran. I loved Hagler. I loved Leonard. Um, you know, I I really loved watching Aaron Pryor fight. I thought Alexis Arguello was so much fun to watch. The, you know, all of those guys from that era. That's the era that I loved boxing and and just paid for every fight. You know, went to fights in Vegas. You know, especially when we got into the late '80s and '90s. But the thing that I loved about Tommy Hearns in that fight is that Hearns did he he knew. His best chance to beat this guy was to throw everything he had at him early and try to connect. And he did multiple times, but it didn't do much. You know, the irony, yeah. of, the irony of that fight with Hearns is, remember, before he lost to Sugar Ray Leonard in the TKO at Caesars Palace in 1981, he came into that fight as the hitman, having knocked out everybody undefeated, and it was the boxer versus the hitman. Well, that fight turned the, you know, the narrative on Hearns. Hearns was a phenomenal boxer in that fight. Remember, Leonard nearly knocked him out in the fifth round, and Hearns turned into the boxer and had the big lead and Leonard had to knock him out and did, you know, at the end to to win that fight. And then we recognized Hearns as much more than just a knockout artist. He was a really good boxer. Now he knocked the hell out of Duran. Remember that, that knockout of Duran um, when when they fought. Um, But the Hagler thing, he, he, he reverted to the hitman. He's like, I got to take him out, and I got to take him out early, and I'm going to throw everything I've got at this guy and try to end it early uh, because if it's 12 rounds, I'm in trouble. And he threw everything he had. You know, what, what's interesting is uh, when, when, when Hagler fought Duran, he, it was a close, that was a close fight. Right. That was a close fight. Duran decision. really boxed and, him. And no one expected that. Right. And uh, Duran, uh, Ray Leonard was doing the color analyzing for uh, HBO. And and Duran leaned over the ropes after the fight and told Ray, you can beat this guy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the, that was a decision, right, that he lost but wasn't yes. – but he, he was in the fight. He had a chance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, of all those fighters, Duran was the smallest. Oh, he yeah. was the only one who went from lightweight. I mean, Duran was Duran's legacy. Right. Even though people know him when he got bigger, is as the greatest lightweight champion of all time. Right. So I mean, he was the smallest always of all the of those three four fighters. That, yeah, that's right. But he was also with Leonard a bully. Like he bullied Leonard around in that yes. first fight in Montreal. Yes, um, and. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I knew the story you just told, which is really interesting that Leonard called the Duran-Hagler fight, and Duran told Leonard, you can beat this guy? Yeah, yeah, he did. Wow. Because Duran and Leonard, yeah. at that, you know, that's still the early 80s. They're not friendly. No, but, but there's a mutual respect that, that fighters get. Having sh- when, when people share something like that in the ring, it's a strange relationship that, that they carry for the rest of their lives. They really do. Some it's good, some it's not good, but it's very unique and different. Uh, and uh, look, now Ray and, and Duran are best friends. Right. You know, I'm <laughs> but sitting... Duran's like a, like a teddy bear now. 
You know, the thing about Duran, he fought everybody. Like, I'm looking through his thing. He fought everybody. Like, you talk about the lightweight guys, like, well, you know, when he was fighting, you know, guys like, uh, um, um, who was the guy that he uh, fought a couple times early on? I'm forgetting his name. But when you get into um, that that era of the 80s, you know, he fights Leonard twice. He fights Wilfred Benitez. He fights Jose Pepino Cuevas. He fights Davey Moore. He fights Hagler. He fights Hearns. You know, he then fought Leonard again, remember, which was a terrible fight. I was at that fight at the Mirage. Terrible the fight. The third fight, yeah. Yeah, the third fight. Terrible. Um, now, people forget, he, he, he went up to super middleweight, 160 Well, he pounds, gained a lot of weight. He beat Iran Barkley. He beat, he beat Barkley. Exactly. Yes. Um, but the, uh, but Duran more than Leonard fought everybody. Now, none of them, none of them fought Aaron Pryor. They all thought he was crazy. And I still, and I remember during that era thinking they're all avoiding him because they don't think they can beat him. Now I know he was, you know, drugged up half the time and had all of those issues. But Aaron Pryor, you know, knocked out Arguello what twice. Um, you know, he had the the brutal uh, beating of Arguello to win the title. Did he fight Arguello twice? I think he fought Arguello twice and and knocked him out both times. But then he never, as as by the way, a lightweight champion. And then maybe a junior welterweight. He never and he, no one ever came down to fight him, and he never went up to fight anybody. And those would have been massive fights. Why not? A lot of people agree with you. Absolutely. A lot of people agree with a me lot on of what? People agree with that you. he would have. They they were that Aaron, that they were afraid of him. Aaron Pryor. Yeah. Yeah. They were afraid of him. Why were they afraid of him? He had, had a very awkward style. You know, he he was always sort of off balance, um, but he, and he clearly, you know, we know that he had drug issues during that whole period of time. By the way, is is he dead? Yes. I mean, he became a minister out in Cincinnati. I met Aaron Pryor at, and spoke to him at length at one of the uh, fight nights. And uh, it was after Alex- Alexis Arguello had been, had been found dead. Of, he died. Uh, Here it uh, is. He's and, 60 years old in 2016. Yeah. Well. And uh, I still have his card, Aaron Pryor's card. Uh, <laughs> he was dabbling in some boxing managing, but he was a minister. Very nice man to talk to. In December of 85, Pryor was stripped of his titles um, oh, for failure. He had become consumed by j- drugs that could have been part of it as well, but I, I remember thinking, man, to see like Duran Pryor or Hearns Pryor or Leonard Pryor, um, Hagler was, you know, Hagler was entrenched as a middleweight. I don't know if Pryor would have been able to go up and fight Hagler in that weight class. That was a couple of leaps for him, but certainly he could have fought Duran, Hearns, or Leonard during that period, but never but did. The amazing thing is, like, what? Think of what you just said. Duran did that. Yeah, Duran did that. Duran moved up from 135 pounds as a lightweight. He looked. I remember and him won, looking fat in that Leonard in that last Leonard fight. You know that and was won the 168 pound title against Iron Barkley. 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 Wow. 168 pounds. Jesus, that's crazy. 
That's why Durant's my favorite. One of the reasons why Durant's my favorite fighter. Hands of stone. All right, one uh, last thing to finish up on after this word from one of our sponsors. Tommy, um, Archie Miller got fired uh, at Indiana yesterday. Some big donor bought out $10.3 million worth of remaining contracts. This is what I guess you can do at Indiana when you used to be a blue blood program and you still have some big money people in the program that get frustrated and decide uh, we got to try somebody else. But to me, this is the warning sign um, about college basketball because Archie Miller can coach. Archie Miller, you know, took Dayton, you know, with Dayton's got some history. I'm not gonna, about to say that they don't. He took Dayton to the NCAA tournament four consecutive years, took him to an elite eight. They were close to making a final four and then got the Indiana job. He's Sean Miller's, you know, younger brother, um, Archie Miller. I always felt watching him at Dayton. He can coach. He replaced Tom Crean, you know, who took in Indiana to a couple of sweet 16s, but that wasn't good enough for Indiana, right? Crean wasn't good enough. You know, three sweet 16s for uh, Tom Crean at Indiana, not good enough. He goes to the NIT in his final year. He gets fired. Archie Miller comes in. He's going to be the new guy. Four years later, Archie Miller's bought out. He doesn't make the tournament once. Um, now, last year was dicey um, in terms of, of their and, – and this year it looked like he was going to be a tournament uh, team, but not. But he's not. Um, you know, Patrick Ewing at four and whatever they are at that one point this year, there was discussion about how long Patrick Ewing was going to make it at Georgetown this year. And, by the way, I had Patrick Ewing on the radio show this morning. You can go listen to that at the t- team980.com. I, I – this is hard for some of you to believe – I'm really happy for the Georgetown people. Um, That was a lot of fun to watch, and Patrick is such a likable guy. And I've said, um, and by the way, they told me, you know, they we know what you've been saying about Patrick over the years. And I've said, I watch Georgetown not a lot, and I'm not rooting for Georgetown, but I think he can coach. Watching them, I think they're well coached. And, you know, they before that COVID pause, they had lost five games in a row this year. They were three and eight. And what was all the discussion? How long is Patrick going to last, man? Uh, how long is he going to last? You know, you really, in this day and age, aren't guaranteed to get something much better at these places where you always believe, well, if if we're not in the final four, or we're not in sweet 16s every year or whatever, we got to we got to replace Mark Turgeon. We got to replace Patrick Ewing. We got to replace Archie Miller. Well, Tom Crean got you to sweet 16s, it wasn't good enough. You got Archie Miller. Herb Sendek of several years ago at NC State was taking you to the tournament every year and he wasn't good enough for you because we've won two national championships here in Raleigh. You may have heard of us here in the ACC. You know, you have to give these guys time if you think they can coach. Archie Miller's a good coach. No one in the profession would say Archie Miller can't coach. Okay, Richard Pitino had eight years at Minnesota. They gave him every chance. They fired him yesterday. That's eight years. Four years with a COVID year in there in between. They were 20 and 12 last year. And I forget, to be honest with you, whether they, they were a bubble team, worst case. Um, I'd love to see who they're going to go pay now and whether or not, you know, as long as you got a donor willing to pay it out and the school doesn't have to pay it out, I guess, why not? Let's keep swinging. But man, Indiana has been out in the wilderness now for a while.
and they bail quickly on their guys. Um, but well, all, all I can say is, it's a good thing Maryland has your deep pockets to go into. Well, that's the th- th- that's one of the reasons I bring it up is that Maryland doesn't have that guy. You know, it's not Kevin Plank. Kevin Plank doesn't. He's not in the business of buying coaches out. If you've been paying attention over the years, there's one guy who has the ability to at Maryland, um, but he's actually he likes Turgeon. So I just Maryland's gone to the tournament. This is now six out of the last seven years they've been in the NCAA tournament. Six out of seven years, and yeah, I understand it hasn't been good enough when they've got you know gotten there. I think last year would have been, but we'll never know. And this year, overachieved team. Who knows? Maybe this year they win a couple of games. But be careful what you wish for, because Archie Miller just got bought out, and now the next guy's going to be brought in, and you know it may not be better in terms of a coach. And if you think you're getting Chris Beard, I've said this a million times from Texas Tech, he's making four and a half million bucks a year. You're not getting him. If you think you're getting Nate Oates after this one year at Bama, you're not getting him. Bama's loaded with cash. They can pay anybody. They've got football that generates ridiculous amounts of money, even if they don't care about basketball there. They care enough. So I don't know. I mean, I, I saw that, and I, I knew Archie Miller was in trouble with the, you know as they came down the stretch. But you don't take Dayton to four consecutive uh, NCAA tournaments, take him to an Elite Eight, you know, winning 25, 26, 27 games a year. You know, not in the Big Ten or the ACC. I understand in the A-10, still a decent league, you know, where they won it twice outright um, without being a good coach. Uh, You just don't. You don't win. It's not like he had overwhelming talent at Dayton. So... The Big Ten's brutal, man. It is brutal. And a guy like Archie Miller who can car- who can coach, I think he can, four years you get at Indiana, and you're done. <laughs> you're done. But you know what? It could be a lot worse. Here's $10.3 million. Thank you very much for your services. And you can go do what you want to do. All right. Um, anyway, uh, anything else from you? I got nothing else for you, boss. Okay. Uh, Back tomorrow with Cooley. Have a great day.